Hello, welcome to Maine Education Matters. I'm Matt Druett-Card, your host for today's episode. Thank you so very much once again for downloading and listening to our little adventure here as we make our way through education stuffs in Maine um, while we're figuring out all different kinds of things. What's happening with the legislature? We don't usually know what's we don't happen. We don't know what's happening usually anyway, but we don't really know what's happening now. But what we're doing is we are having a um, continuing conversation about uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, bias, racism in our schools, in our curriculum, in our structures, in our systems. Um, we've had a couple so far with the main curriculum leader, uh, executive director, executive curriculum leader association, executive director. We've talked with um, a couple of members of the Department of Education, Dr. Delock and Joe Schmidt. Today, for this episode, I am delighted that we are going to have the voices of a couple of our learners in the state of Maine. We're going to be talking to um, a couple of folks who go to school in Maine right now, who are also part of the Maine Department of Education student cabinet. So uh, first of all, I'd like to introduce you to Fiona Aquilo Stawas, and she is a senior in South Portland. Fiona, thank you very much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. I'd also like to introduce uh, Sarah Cook. She's a sophomore at Riviera Preparatory Academy. Sarah, I get thank you as well for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Also joining the conversation, uh, returning champion, uh, just mentioned a few minutes ago, uh, the acting coordinator for secondary education and the social studies content specialist at the Maine Department of Education, Mr. Joe Schmidt. How are you, sir? Man, I'm doing wonderful. Thank you so much um, for inviting me back. Thank you so much for having um, some students with us today. I'm really excited to share the really good work, the important work um, that they've been doing and the voice that they've been sharing with uh, not only the department, but everybody uh, across the state. No, thank you for coming back. I'm glad we didn't scare you off and that you've decided to continue to be a part of this ridiculous thing that we're doing. Um, but important stuff, I think. So before we get into the conversation, uh, Fiona, Sarah, I'd like you just to talk a little bit about what the Maine Student Cabinet is and what you all do on it. I know that you've also been pushing to create a different subcommittee that has to do with diversity, equity, and inclusion. So would you mind just telling us a little bit about what the Student Cabinet is? Yeah, absolutely. It was um, created um, to connect the to connect student voice with the DOE so that they could really understand what students um, want to change within our school environments and see how the DOE um, could be a part of that change. So there is um, student representatives from 16 from all 16 counties around Maine. There might be 17, but I can't remember. Is there 16 counties in Maine, right? Let's go with that. Okay. Um, yeah, so there's, I think- I'm gonna yes and. It's, a, it's an right. improv trick. <laughs> um, so yeah, that about sums it up. And Sarah, if you wanna talk about the subcommittee, you can. Okay, um, yeah, so the subcommittee um, was kind of pushed by Fiona and I. I know that like, during the summer, I was personally very um, distressed when the murder of George Floyd happened. And mm. I was attending um, like local rallies in support of Black Lives Matter and racial justice. And um, I decided, I was like, this isn't just um, something that happens like randomly. Like, and I think that the way we can prevent 
some of this um, like hate crime and um, the bias is by having like proper education in schools. So I thought that like to kind of help, um, I don't know, help like lessen, not like lessen, but let well lessen um, the bias and um, and kind of like racism that we experience is by like, you know, going to education first, making sure that we have like true education and not just glorifying people who colonized um, and who were slave traders. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the main reason as to why um, I think Fiona and I really wanted to like push this subcommittee of the student cabinet um, because I think that it's super, super important that we have um, like real, real like historical education um, and like non-bias and anti-racism um, mm. like education in schools for sure. Well, it's, yeah, it's true that, you know, especially when we talk about history, history is one of those things that's written, been written by people with pens. And people with pens have usually had education. And if you've had education historically, then you've had some kind of privilege and you have a perspective on things. So there is definitely a, um, a, a, a lean to how history has been learned. I know I can tell you for right now, I grew up thinking things like Christopher Columbus was a hero because of just the way it was presented to me. The other side, the other perspectives were never, ever brought into it. And I think that's kind of where I would like to start this conversation um, with, with you all today. Um, because you said, uh, Sarah, just a minute ago, a fantastic thing, uh, having proper education in schools and having that lean towards or aiming at lessening bias and uh, teaching folks how to do proper inquiry and learn these things. So how do we start this? How, in your perspective, from what you've seen in schools, both, both you, Fiona, both you, Sarah, what you've seen in schools, how would you like it to start? What, what, what would be impactful for you? What kind of things should we be looking for? Um, yeah, Fiona, do you wanna go? Sure. Um, I think it's, it's kind of already started. Um, we've had the indigenous um, mandate pass, I think it was in 2014 that um, mandated um, education surrounding specifically main studies um, in the indigenous population here. But um, the way that's been implemented into our schools has not been great. So making sure that implementation of mandates like that are occurring um, throughout our schools and are widely spread throughout um, like all levels of um, the school system. Sure. Um, Can you talk about why why you said it wasn't great? Like as a curriculum leader, it's what which is what I do. I would like to know why it's not why it wasn't great. Yeah, yeah. I'm not talking about like the bill itself or like the resources that went along with the bill. Right, it's right. The amount of people that are exposed to that information. So like it um, passed in 2014, and yet I hadn't heard of Wab the Wabanaki tribe until last year it wasn't implemented in some integrated into wow. my history curriculum until last year. And I was in AP history. So who's to say if that same education was implemented for um, CP classes or honors classes. So making sure that throughout there's consistency in the way this information is integrated into mm -hmm. our um, curriculum sure. and making sure that it's proper implementation implementation too. So I'm from a like um, a generally uh, 
open area and like my teachers are very um excited to decolonize curriculum they're excited to teach this information but what happens when we come to a district where their teachers aren't as excited to do that aren't as excited to change and um looking for strategies to figure out how to implement those mandates even in districts where there's um reluctancy yeah just to add on to what fiona just said i think that that is 100 percent um like valid and i think that she just stated it so perfectly and um what really was like impactful for me was um like decolonizing decolonizing um education um i think that that is so so important um because as i mean as we as you were um talking about we um it, it was written by people who had pens people with the privilege to have education and i agree um i actually had no idea about the bill that was passed um until now. So um, we had never really heard anything about um, the indigenous um, education mm-hmm. bill being passed. Um, so I think that's just one example of how it's not really being taught across the board. And since since Maine is like a predominantly um, like white state, mm-hmm. like I don't think that there's gonna be um, sort of like an open mind towards teaching more like less biased, um, yeah history and curriculum you know so i think when we were um in the anti like racism subgroup when we met we were talking about how teachers can be um like how like how we're gonna have teachers that have to possibly go through like a certain class or um something like that um pertaining to like um like no bias basically um and i i can't, i can't remember all of the details surrounding that but i do remember that that was one idea that we had had um, so I think that that's also very important as having teachers who are um, very eager and willing to teach proper history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's 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 a fantastic point. I, the the curriculum leader and the educator me just kind of when you were, both were saying those things like um, you're not like Sarah, you didn't hear about the Wabanaki studies or things until last year. Fiona, being a senior, only when you were a, a junior, you finally heard about it. Um, the curriculum person in me says, oh, that's terrible. But the educator in me also gets a little bit defensive because I, I, I know of many educators who would say, well, no, 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 well, we taught main uh, Wabanaki studies back in the fourth grade. It's not that we didn't teach it, it's that you don't remember it. And I think that's actually a bigger lesson to learn here is that if it, you might have learned it at some point, but you didn't remember it. It didn't have any kind of impact on you. It didn't have any kind of significant or lasting meaning. And I think that's part of the issue that we have to come to grips with is that it may have, it may have not have been done in a meaningful or systemic way so that you had a full and deep understanding. And so that's kind of where I want to kind of just go into a little bit of a conversation about this decolonizing education. Cause I've been, I've heard you, you both say this a little bit now, and I want to make sure that our, um, our listeners here, know what that is, have a, have a really clear understanding. So I'm not sure if this is, who wants to take that on? Well, I think both of us should, for sure. Go for it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And just like to respond to what you just said, I think mm-hmm. that is a beautiful statement because that could absolutely be true. I probably learned about Wabanaki, the Wabanaki people in fourth grade, but exactly like the way that it was taught mm-hmm. did not outweigh learning about the Revolutionary War learning about sure. um, 
Thomas Jefferson or George Washington and our founding fathers. So exactly like you said, it didn't stick in my brain for some reason. And that is definitely an aspect of decolonizing our curriculum is making sure that as we're integrating um, these aspects of um, indigenous history of African-American history into our curriculum, Mm -hmm. like you said, we're doing it in a meaningful way. We're not just throwing it in there like, oh yeah, slavery happened, the the reconstruction happened, it wasn't very effective, Mm -hmm. blah, 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 blah. It has to be like equal to the other information that we are um we are being taught Mm -hmm. and as much time put into it as the revolutionary world which i know is like not always possible because time is very like oh time is a commodity for teachers and it's very difficult to already fit all of the mandates and all the all the curriculum that they have so it's just going to be interesting in the way in which we build the curriculum so that we can make all of these things equal and have um and not always equal because who's to say that learning about thomas jefferson a man who in some aspects is a very cruel and unjust man um is more important than learning about indigenous history so i think that's also a tricky place stepping very in, much so yeah and I think Fiona raises such a, an important point, and she's building off what you had said, you know, Matt, uh, where you talk about the defensiveness in it, thinking about, you know, what's in there, um, you know, because they're talking about, uh, you know, LD 291, uh, the talking about the main Native American studies program, which actually was signed into law in 2001. So we're approaching the 20th anniversary of this bill. And we're hearing from students, we're hearing from educators, right? We've heard about this during my entire time here, people wanting more support, wanting more information of that. And we have two students speaking about, you know, that experience. Like how, how do we internalize that and make that um, yeah. meaningful? And that's work that we just did in the latest revision of the standards. Because Matt, as you were kind of saying, right, you know, I feel like as the curriculum director in me, right? Because they main Native Americans were in the standards, in the 2007 version following the 2001 law. But hearing what we're hearing from students, from educators in the field, you know, it was there's more clarity. So when we did the, the latest revision as after 2019 that was signed in, it was more clarity about what that is, stronger uh, supports for that. And then the standards rollout included um, specific trainings to teaching about Maine Native Americans and bringing the, the tribal leaders um, and educational partners to the table. And part of that as well, um, so the author of the original bill was, is the Honorable Donna Loring, who was a representative at the time. She serves in Governor Mills' um, administration as a special liaison. And with her work and with Commissioner Macon's work, they have brought back together a Wabanaki uh, Studies Education Committee that pre-COVID had been meeting about every two months, again, to try to address some of the things that we're hearing from Sarah, hearing from Fiona, right? And the teachers, how do we bridge that gap? The teachers who who want to do this and do this well, um, where does it fit in the curriculum? The students who are saying, wait a minute, I, I wasn't hearing these things and trying to bridge in some of those opportunities. And that's where Fiona and Sarah and the student cabinet has been such an important voice, right? Because we brought them mm-hmm. to the table and we had to have discussions like this. Well, you know, we should make Make sure people learn about this and you know that's where i think some of it like what sarah was saying you know finding out you know i said there's no 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 we have a law right 
right. it's how do we better implement? How do we do these things? And so it's so important, again, I'll, you know, just in conclusion, to have the students here to say, hey, you may have taught me about these things. I'm telling you what I remember. Here's my takeaway. So, so it, it sounds like to me, part of this conversation that we're having, which is framed around these, these three basic questions that we've been asking for this, this whole time, which is, you know, how do we start? What do we, questions do we ask? How do we know when we found it? And what do we do about it? Well, it, it kind of sounds to me like for numbers one and two here, when it comes to developing, designing and implementing any kind of curriculum, there needs to be some listening that's involved here. And what it's saying is like, I'm hearing our students say, yeah, I didn't learn about this. Or even if I did, even if I was taught it, it doesn't mean I learned it. And I should be learning these things. And I want to be learning these things and everyone should be learning these things. So then it becomes onto our role is this the thing is the questions we ask are maybe we don't necessarily have to ask the questions. We say, what is it that you are seeing, the students that you're seeing that we should be talking about more? And instead of just trying to figure it out as the adults, you're the one saying, nope, we didn't get this. This didn't work. This wasn't here. This isn't here. Or all we're seeing from our history, uh, education in particular, let's just to keep on that one, is this one-sided perspective. But there were other people who were living at that time who had very different perspectives on quote unquote freedom and liberty. So in terms of this first stage of knowing or what questions are we asking, you're bringing up some great points about finding out from what the student, from the student perspective, what is it that we should be listening to? One of the questions I want to talk about next is this is the second stage of how do we know when we found it? Or another side of it, I guess, is also a, um, a side of courage, because if you know that you found something and you should do something about it, or you feel like you should do, do you do something about it? And how do we help our educators, our community, our students, everyone kind of get past that? I'm not totally sure if I understood your question. Sure, um, there was a lot there. Yeah, so could, could you just uh, say it again or rephrase it? The whole thing? I could I could go on that whole like jag again if you want. Basically, what I'm what I'm trying to say is, um, it's it's very easy for us to say like, okay, we we recognize that our history curriculum, let's say, is really all from the perspective of just the um, empowered, privileged, rich, white male perspective. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then how do we get people to say, to go to that next step of saying, well, what are we gonna do about it? Or how do we get them to be like, to even recognize um, that that might not be enough? Oh, I think that's a very, um, it's, it's a difficult, it's a difficult question. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah. Um, yeah, If the answer is we don't know, um, that's okay. (laughs) Yeah, no, I think that I think it is a difficult question. I definitely agree with Fiona. Um, 
I think that the reason it is so difficult is because um, like it's, it's hard to do that. Like it's hard to make a plan in which like, which we know if we've like found it or if we know like it's been like implemented correctly. I think that's what you're asking. Um, so I think it's just like, we're going to have to kind of like sit down and brainstorm and see like what we can do about this particular like situation. And then, you know, like further that, because we can come out with, um, like, I don't know, like pamphlets and be like, this is why this is important. This is why it should be implemented, but we can't like, I don't know. We can't know that it's going to be, I think, I hope that answered somewhat of your question. It's a very big question. It's, it's huge. And this is the thing that all of us, students, educators, community members, everyone's grappling with. It's that, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have this really open and honest, just, just straightforward conversation to be mm -hmm. like, we're all struggling with how to do this. Yeah. You know, so, but what's one thing that we could do then? What is, what are some steps that we can take in order to, if we, if we, if we're seeing, if we're seeing these things happen, if we, we ask the questions like, why don't we have this? Why don't we really know so much about the Wabanaki? And then we say, oh, because it wasn't really done really well, or it doesn't, wasn't done well enough. Well, then what next? Because in my, in my humble opinion, which is worth very little, um, I would say that if we know these things and then we do nothing about it, we're complicit in it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, so I, I just like to, to, from your perspective as the learners, as the students going through this, mm -hmm. what can you do? What can other students do? What should your teachers be doing? Um, I think one thing that I'm pretty sure my school implemented, but I'm not positive is um, really looking at the resources that you have as a teacher. And I know I'm putting the onus on the teachers in this um, recommendation. Um, and I think there should be some onus on students, but also like, we need to let youth be youth, right? So I think some of it should be on administration. So um, basically making sure that you know a certain resource. Okay, so the idea of anti-racism, right, is that n one thing is either racist or you're act it's actively working against being racist, right? Okay. So when you look at the resources you're using in your classroom to teach a certain thing, there's a checklist to say, or there is something that makes you go over this resource before it's taught to be like, oh, okay, if I'm teaching this, it might come across as this and this and this, and um, or it might come across as this and this and this, and might have racist impacts or anti-racist impacts, right? So mm -hmm. having resources that allow us to check, go through, um, the curriculum, what we're teaching, like individually as teachers. I, sorry, I'm getting quite off track right now. No, this is, this is exactly where I wanted it. Where I was hoping it would kind of get to in some way, because what you're now doing is you're providing direct action steps for what teachers, curriculum folks like myself, principals and other administrators can do. Yeah. It's looking at the resources that we provide, that we have, that we, 
because um, it's all too easy sometimes for us educators to get stuck in this rut and just just kind of continue to do the same thing every year over and over again. But to question, I think what you're saying, and correct me if I'm wrong, to just challenge the resources that we have to make sure that what we have are actually providing a number of perspectives and not just the resources, but that our presentation of those resources is yes. also um, coming from a perspective of what, what, what is it questioning it and then saying that level of are we okay with that or are we not yeah absolutely i think like an example of that that i just ran up against in classes we read um one flew over the cuckoo's nest and so that book can be very harsh and it's somewhat racist and misogynistic but the way in which it was taught examined mm -hmm. those ideals and basically through having these racist, this somewhat racist book and misogynistic book, we were able to see the um, inequities within our society. So you could take a text that if you just threw it at your students, allowed them to read it, it would be um, furthering the, um, sure. furthering their ignorance, or you teach it in a context that allows them to see how um, this can further our understanding of race relations and relations, um, yeah. Sarah, did you wanna add anything to that or are we? Um, I think I definitely, I, I really agree with Fiona on that. I think that also, I mean, as she was saying, um, like the checklist with like the sources we're giving to students, how do we know that it's actively anti-racist? Like, how do we know that it's not contributing to this ignorance um, that that students may have. Um, I think that's so, so important. I think also realizing your own bias, and this is where it's really hard for people is to reflect and realize where they are being racist, where they do have biases, especially as an educator is mm. so, so, so important. Um, because you could, you could have the best intentions, but you could have a bias and you could be giving, giving like, um, false, basically false or racist information rather. Um, and you like, and you can be not, um, like giving anti-racist, um, like, oh my gosh, what's the word? Sorry. <laughs> anti-racist material. Um, and I think that, um, I think also like it's like, it's scary, right? It's scary. It's scary for people to realize that they have these biases. It's scary. It could be like um, scary for people to even hear the word anti-racist because the first like mechanism is like, I'm not a racist. Like I could never be racist, but they can, these teachers and not that teachers, all, all teachers are racist or anything, but certain teachers and certain educators could have these biases that they are not aware of because they have this immediate defense mechanism towards it. And yeah. I think that again, as an educator, it is so important that they realize um, those biases and they realize that the impact those biases could have on their students and the overall health of their school community. Um, so that's what I think is very important as well. Um, just in addition to everything Fiona said, which was um, very, very good. Yeah. 
I, I think um, I think there's such a good point in there, Matt, what you've been saying, you know, about those action steps in there, what you're hearing from the students, you know, is you have to do something, right? Like when we talked about this in that previous the previous podcast, like there's that pivot to the internal to the external, you know, because if you think about um, in 1986, when Elie Wiesel um, in his Nobel Peace Prize winning speech, you know, he said neutrality helps the oppressor, never the victim. Silence encourages the tormentor never the tormented. And I think a lot of times, even as we acknowledge some of this discomfort in ourselves, if we don't move forward with it, because, you know, what can I do? I'm only one person, or this is only one classroom, or it's only one thing, right? What we're doing is continuing to allow those things to perpetuate. And then something that just happened once happens twice, three times, five times. And the longer we let it go, you know, the more those those things take root. And we're talking Normalizing about you know, something that has hundreds of years of roots in that piece. So what can teachers do? Matt, you'd said like when they realize that, something, right? They have to do something. And I tell people all the time, you know, the burden of the, of the, of the world is not on your shoulders, but you have to do something to make sure that you at least started something in your classroom. So what, I, what, I, what I'm hearing is that the takeaways uh, for our educators, for the people who are listening to this um, and, and, and it might take something away from it is that the two things that that our education, our educators, whether you're curriculum leaders or a teacher can do today, you know, once once you put down the dishes or get off the treadmill, you can do, because that's what, that's what people listen to podcasts, to be honest, um, is one, go look in a mirror and reflect on your own bias. Reflect on your own privilege, and that is a consistent message. That and this is the fourth one of these that I've that I've recorded. In every single one, that has been a lesson and a message that has been sent. Go and recognize your own privilege. Recognize what biases you might have, and don't be afraid to have them challenged. To say to yourself, "Okay, may I, I may have thought this way before for a long time, for a lifetime, but just because I did that doesn't mean I'm a bad person." I didn't necessarily think of it from another perspective or know it, but now that I know it, now that I know, what am I going to do about it? So it's recognize your own bias, but then it's also getting up and looking at the resources, looking at the things that we are presenting and the way in which we're presenting them to our learners and what is the both intentional and unintentional impact that these things are having. Did I summarize what you were saying? Both yes. Yeah. Um, All right. Yeah. In addition to that, I do have to get going because my class starts at 50, but thank you so much for having me. And I hope we can like further these conversations and act towards, you know, I guess opening people's minds. <laughs> well, this is a great place for us to stop anyway. So Sarah, I wanted to thank you very much for joining us. And again, good luck with your studies. Good luck with the Bain student cabinet, your class that you're about to head off to. Um, <laughs> so thank you for joining us. Uh, Fiona Aquilo Stavos, Thank you so much for taking some time with us today, um, for talking with us. And of course, Joe Schmidt, thank you as well. Yeah, absolutely. And we will continue this conversation as we go on. Awesome. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye. Bye.